Hello and welcome to the online recording of the Doctrine of Balaam sermon. Uh, This was originally preached on Sunday, June 7th, uh, but the recording didn't quite go through, so I decided to just re-record it here in the studio here at the house. I really hope you enjoy the sermon. Last week we saw the nation, the nation who had seen more miracles than we can possibly fathom, fail to trust their God. Think about the miracles that this people saw. The water to blood, the frogs, the flies, the locusts, the death of the cattle. How about that darkness? The dark that was so thick that you could cut it with a knife, and even the flame couldn't actually light a path through it. The darkness even followed property lines for the Egyptians and the Israelites. What about the flaming hail, or the death of the firstborn? How about the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud? What about walking through the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground, only to have it collapse on your enemies? What about the water, enough to feed a million people or more, bursting out from a rock at Moses' command just by tapping his stick? Then there was the manna and the quail, and the list goes on. All of this, and the people absolutely refused to put their faith and their trust in God. At the first sign of struggle, at the first sign of things not going easy, they turned and they fled. Again and again, it was because of their lack of faith in God that led them to make the decision that the generation that saw all of his miracles would wander in the wilderness rather than seeing the promised land. To come so far and to see so much, and yet they failed when the promise was so close. I want to ask you a question. What kind of Christ follower are you? There are a couple of different types of people who follow God, or at least they claim to. I want to talk about one today, a man I think that we can all learn from. When you hear his story, ask yourself, what would you do in his shoes? This week, we're going to be looking at Israel as they are getting ready to enter the promised land. Now, when you think of the conquest and the military campaigns of Israel as they move forward, the man that typically comes to mind is probably Joshua. There's a book of the Bible dedicated to his leading of the people into the promised land. And if you like war and conquest, action and drama, it's really the book for you. Sadly, that's not today's book. Sorry. We are still in the book of Numbers, and Moses is still in charge. In chapter 20, Aaron dies, and the mantle is passed on to his son, Eleazar. In chapter 21, Israel starts defeating different cities, and they start slowly moving towards the promised land's borders. After a bit of complaining and a rocky start, they have several victories, and in fact, they start establishing a name for themselves. As they are starting to gain a little bit of renown and uh, some street cred, in all reality, for being able to take down cities, the king of the Moabites, a man by the name of Balak, son of Zippor, becomes terrified. In fact, his whole kingdom starts surging with fear because of how many Israelites there are and that the cities that they have come across have been completely wiped out, decimated, ground leveled, all the way down. So he sends word for a prophet who has had success at blessing and cursing people, and the prophet's name is Balaam, son of Beor. Let's pick up the stories in Numbers chapter 22, verse 7. Numbers chapter 22, verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam, and they gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. So Balaam is an interesting guy, as you're about to find out. It seems that he knows God. At least he knows of God. He talks to God. But he doesn't seem to really have complete trust in him. And this is how the story plays out. So check out verses 12 through 14 with me. 
God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose, and they went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Okay, so far, so good. Balaam has sought God's word on the situation, and God has responded, and Balaam has obeyed. So Balaam sends the message on. So far, it kind of seems like a no harm, no foul kind of situation. The men came, they asked Balaam, he said, I'm sorry, I can't help. You would think that the situation would be over here, but it probably wouldn't have gotten recorded for us if it hadn't become interesting, right? Word has come to Balak, the king. Balaam won't help. Balaam's reputation must have been a really good one, or the king must have really been up the creek and running out of options. But he comes back and he makes another offer in verses 15 through 17. Once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. Apparently the last ones are uh, not so honorable. I don't know. Uh, and they came to Balaam and they said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you a great honor. And whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and he said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I couldn't go beyond the command of my Lord, my God, to do less or more. So second attempt, the stakes are raised and the king doesn't just offer a sum of money here, he also says that he will personally honor Balaam in any way that he wants. The king is offering everything short of the kingdom itself at this point. Balaam is true to God, at least in word, as he replies that no amount of money could make him go beyond the command of the Lord. At first this may sound like Balaam has a great trust and faith in God. But a closer look at the wording reveals that it's not that Balaam is a great faith man who can't be bought, but rather he is saying that what he says is directed by God and not himself. So paying Balaam wouldn't change God. Listen to the words one more time. Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Balaam goes on to tell the men to stay the night as the last group had to do as well, as he is willing to at least check with God just in case anything has changed. While speaking with God, God replies and says because the men persist that Balaam can go, but he is only allowed to say what God tells him. This is verses 20 through 21. And God came to Balaam at night, and he said to him, If the men have come to you, call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he went with the princes of Moab. The next verse is almost downright confusing. Verse 22 starts out this way. But God's anger was kindled because he went. Wait, wait a second. Wasn't it God who just in the last verse told him to go with them? So what's up? Why the sudden change? If you've ever been in a long-term relationship, you might have come across a situation where your significant other looks distraught. They look something is something is amiss. So being the kind-hearted person you are, you ask the fateful question, is anything wrong, dear? The answer comes back, no. And then when you do nothing because the answer was no, they're mad at you. In reality, no was actually a clue that really meant yes, and you better know why. Well, this isn't actually one of those situations. To understand what kind of situation this actually is, we need to read Jeremiah 17.10. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. While at first here it seems that God was changing his mind without letting Balaam know, God knows that Balaam had a heart change at some point during the night. What would have changed his heart? So far, he seemed committed to God, at least in word. 
Think about the money, the honor, and the power that he was being offered. Do you think that that temptation was starting to really look appealing? Most likely what had happened is Balaam, being a man, was tempted, and he was falling for it. At one point during the night, he had probably reasoned within himself that he would figure out a way to give a curse and receive some cash. You're probably asking, how could I make this assumption about Balaam, aren't you? How can I judge his heart? I'm just a man. I wasn't there. Well, the one who does know his heart, and he knows your heart as well, had a man by the name of Peter write down some interesting insight. So turn with me almost to the end of the entire Bible to the book of 2 Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we find this written in verses 14 through 16. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. They have left the straight way and they've wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. God uses Peter to tell us that Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. If Balaam loved the wages of wickedness, it changes everything that he has said up to this point. Think about it. If Balaam wanted this money, then he was telling these men, I would really, really love to help you, but my hands are tied. It's God's fault, not mine. There are two kinds of people who follow God, or at least say they follow God. There are those who follow from the point of rule and law. They follow God, they know his rules, they know his laws, they know them, and they try to keep every command. But that is where their relationship is both formed and stops. Their life is a legal contract, and many times these people are those who really want to go out and party and let go. But since they cannot, because after all they hold to the rules, they hold those who do in high contempt. It is these people who harass everyone around them when others fall short of the standard that they are so dedicated to keeping perfectly. In action, these kinds of God followers look almost perfect, but in mind and in heart, it's a completely different story. The second kind of God follower is one who takes God at his word. They try to keep his commands, but they focus on helping others and forgiving them. And when they fall short, they realize that they have failed. They are slow to accuse others of falling short as well. They are those people who are thankful for God's laws and boundaries, as those boundaries help direct them, not constrict them. Balaam was the first kind of God follower. He followed the rules, but not out of a true desire. God decides Balaam's punishment fairly quickly, and he sends an angel of the Lord to chop him down. What follows is the part of the story that we're probably most used to hearing, so let's read it together. It's a little bit of a longer section. We're going to read the part in whole. It's verses 22 through 35, back in Numbers 22 through 35, chapter 22, that is. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and the two servants were there with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road, and he went to the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back to the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against it. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and he stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw that the angel of the Lord was there, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. 
So the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made me a fool. I wish that I had a sword in my hand, and then I would kill you. And then the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, in which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the words that I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Most of the time we hear this and we think of how amazing it must have been to hear the donkey talk. Many believe that the donkey wasn't actually given the ability to think and speak, but rather God spoke through the donkey, as the questions that the donkey and the angel ask are very similar. Now, I'm not going to say where I stand, but what I do find interesting is that the donkey saw the angel. You ever wonder if animals can see angels still, or if that was a one-time event? Maybe that would explain why cats randomly jump up all the time. God got Balaam's attention. Balaam realized that his greedy heart was going to lead to his own destruction. Destruction at the hand of God. Now Balaam changes his tune pretty quick afterward. Not because he was sorry and had a hard change, but rather he was sorry that he got caught. He goes up to the king, Balak, and he ends up blessing Israel three different times and then pronounces curses on all of Israel's enemies. This sounds like a really great ending, right? Like Balaam saw the light and he learned from the error of his ways. He became a blessing to others. Sadly, this isn't his fate. The Bible makes several references to Balaam. All of them are about this man. In the book of Revelation, the church of Pergamum is scolded for tolerating the teaching of Balaam. In chapter 2, verse 14, according to Peter, which we looked at earlier, Balaam's way was to promote a falsehood for financial reasons. According to the book of Jude, in chapter 1, verse 4, his error is to have a willingness to accommodate pagan beliefs at a greed. He sought after his own profit. He gave up everything that he could have had with God at his side. And he ended up paying the price with his own life. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 31. In verse 8, you'll find this. They killed the kings of Midian and the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, and the five kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. At the end of the day, Balaam, while he couldn't directly prophesy against the Israelites, eventually advised King Balak to pursue a campaign of seduction against them. Look down a couple of verses to verse 16. Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord at the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. So how does talking about Balaam and his failures help us today? In our current situation, as we move forward as a church in a nation that is hurting and in turmoil from multiple things, you need to choose who you are going to be. What kind of Christian are you going to present to this nation who so desperately is in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you going to be a Christian that follows all the rules with your body but in your mind becomes someone who judges everyone else? 
Are you going to look at the hurting around you in disgust and think that they are despicable compared to you and that what you have been able to do? Or are you going to remember where God found you? Will you be the person that remembers how desperately short you came up when God showed you his standard and show compassion on those who are still where you once were? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 16 through 19, these words, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This is what Balaam did. And in some extent, we've all done some of these things. We've all fallen short of his standard. Our fate is separation from God, unless we confess our sin and accept his free gift, given freely through faith in Jesus Christ, his Son, who is perfect. And he did no wrong, but he took our punishment. He took your punishment. He was sacrificed for you to be able to mend your relationship with God. Balaam knew of God. He had spoken to God. He knew the rules and he obeyed them to the letter. And that is where he failed. He tried as hard as he could to wiggle out and around what God had said to do. Do you find yourself there? Do you look at the fence? At the church, we are surrounded by cow pastures. And we have, as you roll and you go down the road, you'll see these cows poking their heads through the fence, trying to grab grass on the other side. They see the fence as something that is restricting them, stopping them from going where they could be. That is the first type of God follower. The second type of God follower looks at that same fence and says, you know what, those are there for my benefit. They're there to keep me from harm. Do you try to manipulate what God has said for your benefit? Do you follow his command secretly wishing that you could go to the bar tonight? What kind of relationship do you really have with God? Choose today who you're going to follow. Choose and follow with all of your heart. Use your head and know that God wants what is best for you. You need to trust him and you will never regret it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing day.